The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Ah, uh, there you go. A lichen pour today. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the winemakers. I'm John Myers with today, Bart Hansen. And, of course, we are being joined by Jasmine Egan today, which is a special deal. Is this for Thanksgiving? I mean, for Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Jesus, John. Valentine's Day works. <laughs> we have a lot of special assignments going on today, John. A lot of special assignments. Yeah, so. But we also have a special guest, Doug Stewart from Brago and Lycan Estates. So how are you doing? Welcome. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. So, Do you, have a, do you know a little bootling? Well, Brego's Boontling. Right. So Brego means sheep in Boontling. And our our ranch our, is a 203-acre ranch that used to be a 2,000-acre ranch. And our little cottage house is the headquarters um, of what that used to be. And we still have been running sheep till very sheep and cattle. But right. we still have animals on the property. Right. Uh, what, what I um, – so we're going to get into this, but so I'm going to back up. Um, Doug, welcome. Thank you. Um Doug uh, Stewart is from Sonoma. Um, I met you a little bit before we all traveled to France together. Yep. Probably, you know, it, this is a bunch of connection for me. That's how I um, came into knowing you. And Mike Cox. And Mike Cox, of course. Yes, Mike. Mike That's listens. Trip with Joan. Joan. Yeah. Yep. Joni Boots was there. Remember? Yeah. Joan, Joan and Jasmine have become uh, dear friends. Got it. Uh, she lives right over there. Um, and God, what a trip that was. was when did you guys go? It was April of 2000. Nice. So we had just gotten into escrow on our property, and I had just proposed to my wife. Yep. Well, now wife. And you were on the hunt for, you You were all about the sparkling. Yeah. All about the sparkling on yeah. that trip. Like, like some of us, some of us went to... Some of us did something. Oh, no. And then you went to Chablis. That's what it was. We all went to Chablis together. I, I didn't. I stuck oh, behind God, and went to. Um, I went. I had a private tour uh, with Jacques Lardier from Domaine Jadot. Oh, wow. Um, at the time. That's yeah. So Chablis. I, I thought we all arrived through Chablis. And it was one stop. And the guy brought out stuff from the 70s. And it was just Ooh, spectacular. Nice. Just to see how great. A thirty-year-old Chardonnay could be was yeah. mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it was an awesome trip, um, and and grueling. Mike organized like I, I want to say four stops okay. a day, yeah. starting <laughs> at like nine a.m. And we, I, I'm not a morning drinker, but right. how come I always uh, was told you're not really don't age white wines? Uh, bad information because be, because <laughs> there the winemaking in the united states wasn't quite what it is now yeah and so the wines didn't last very long so therefore they just told you that white wines weren't supposed to be aged yeah so what i guess. just poured is a 2022 chardonnay that was made by uh ryan and sarah who were the fell team fell being what brego became after they brought the winery to sonoma um, so this was made on 8th street but is made with farrington and hine vineyard fruit um and so crisp yeah so crisp and and this is gonna last a decade yeah, easy sure. 
But I also just brought one library wine from Brego, which was the last vintage that I was a winemaker, and that's 2009. Um, I started the company in 2005, sold it in 2009. Um, and it's, I'll let you be the judge. Yeah, so what, I, I want to go back a little bit farther, though, because sure. um, you didn't just leave Sonoma Valley and go on and decide to start in the wine business. You weren't just like part of the wine fabric that was, you know, those early families. The winerati. Is that what you called them? The winerati? I just did. Oh, that was good. That was good. (laughs) Um, And so I want to talk about your path a little bit. I mean, again, when I knew you, you, um, you had Howler, right? Yep. yep. Um, And you were making Ecuadorian gelato. Close. Okay. I was so I I had written a book. I'd done a research project and written a book about the Amazon, but it was the Brazilian Amazon. Okay. Um, and Ecuador was like one of the very few countries that touches the Amazon that I hadn't been to when I met my my wife, future wife. Um, but it was yeah. Most of my fruit came from Brazil and Colombia, um, and we were the first to export acai from Brazil in 1993. Okay. Uh, and um, had a 10 year run of it. Yeah. And then bought the farm in the middle of that. Right. And then, and then sold that, right? Sold the company. Nope. No, you didn't sell the company. Okay. I was Um, exited, but not. Oh, okay. Got it. (laughs) it. Got it. it. Uh, I got, I got paid to get out of the business. Right. Okay. Exited. Okay. Yes. Uh, Yes. (laughs) The largest food company in the world. So, so you bought the, you bought the property. Um, and I, I remember our first trip up there to get a tour of it before any was planted. We, um, you took us all around. And, yeah. I mean, it was beautiful. I remember it being, um, tops of hills, um, steep hills yep. and then, uh, flatlands down on kind of the quote unquote Valley floor. Right. So the, the negotiation to get the property took four years in part or in large part because I wanted to redraw the map. Um, because the property lines that were originally for where that house is, our cottage, um, they didn't have virtually any flat ground. And there was a part next to, on the other side of the creek where it was nice and flat, and I thought water, pond. Um, And so we gave up, how did it work, 13 acres of goat country on the top of the ridge. Did you go bike riding with us, like mountain biking? Yeah. Awesome. That, I remember that day. Um, and uh, we took on another, f- what is it, 53 acres down below. So we got most of the plantable ground. We got the pond. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so at that point, though, and, and at some point you kind of just take over. At that point there, you you were or were not intending on making your own wine. You were you wanted was to not. sell grapes. Yeah. So I my lifelong dream, at least since I was a teenager, was to be a farmer and a writer. Okay. Um, so, and, and, and I want to preface this with, I want you to set the stage with what was going on in Anderson Valley at, during that era, because Anderson Valley was all small family owned businesses. Other than Rotor and Scharfenberg. Right. And then it started to shift. Napa properties started buying in. And I just want you to go through that while you're telling the story. Sure. I mean, my neighbors um, were people like Sue and you know, literally, uh, surrounding our property was all small family owned parcels. Right. Um, today it's, well, Kendall Jackson's two parcels above us and has been for a long time. They've, they're, they're the second largest owner the Jackson family is the second largest owner of property in the Valley. And, um, well, grapes, um, and then Rotor being the largest. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, cake breads across the street, 
my my neighbor was one of the founder of Three Thieves, and he has had multiple very large wine companies. Um, it, I would say winemakers and owners like me are not the exception right. at all. I mean, you can find a dozen wineries, tasting rooms on the highway where there are you'll you'll see the owner right. um, wandering around, if not pouring for you, um, and that's unique. I think that that that. Yeah that disappeared in Napa f when I went to high school, you know, I was right. in high school in Napa. Um, but yeah, no, from a, from a vineyard ownership standpoint, it is getting much more scarce having substantial parcels owned by not corporate. Yeah. Because I mean, at some point Duckhorn came and bought a bunch of property. Yes. I don't know who owns Duckhorn anymore, but well, it's Duckhorn, um, but they're, it's a private equity company. Right. So you, so you intended to sell grapes, and and talk through that a little bit. Um, so uh, my first calls were to people who I knew in the business. So the Bialis, I was a high school classmate of Wendy Bialy. So called Bob. He, I knew that he was interested in doing some Pinot. This is in 2000. Okay. Um, Copan was really the only focused on Anderson Valley Pinot producer. We had tasted a bottle of his wine at Jardinier. I want to say in 99 and we're just blown away. And so called, called Wells, um, called Mike Benziger. Right. So, uh, all three came up and looked at the property. Um, ha and, and, uh, Mike interestingly came with the guy who lives not very far across the street lived, I should say, Alan York, rest his yeah, soul. Rest his soul. Um, but, um, got two pre-plant plant contracts that day. Yeah. Um, oh, you did. And, uh, and was read and actually prepped the ground and ordered the vines. And then March of 2001 hit when we were, you know, going to receive the vines later. And, um, I called up, I called them all up and I said, do you really want us to plant this? Are you, do you want to go through with this contract? And everybody just said, no. Okay. First of all, you have to explain what a uh, pre-plant yeah, contract they don't is, anymore. <laughs> right? Uh, so please explain that and yeah, then explain so back, why. Back in the go-go days, um, I would say most of Anderson Valley's vines today were planted between 1995 and 2001. And at the time, yeah, at the time, um, there was this massive expansion in plantings um, across the state, including the Central Valley. Um, oftentimes grapes that uh, didn't belong where they were planted. Um, and so then 2001, the, the dot-com downturn hit and it hit California hardest and, and the, a huge portion of certainly Anderson Valley, uh, fruit is sold locally. And then another huge portion is sold through, you know, the high end, um, places like William Selliam in, in Sonoma County, meaning they buy, they've been long, buyers of Anderson Valley fruit. Um, and people didn't know what to do. <laughs> like they were going to go from having one year inventory to three, which did happen. Right. Um, and, uh, so I just didn't plant. And okay. I, I mean, I, I, the, m the cost of the property was very little. Right. Um, and so, uh, even planting 10 acres would have doubled my mortgage probably. Um, and, uh, so I didn't and well, planning it the way that I plant it, which is I planted meter by meter. Right. Um, and do it organically. So there's a, there's a much higher cost right. to planting that way and farming. Um, but the, 
yeah, it's justified. Right. I'll, I'll go into that. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so I just decided to not, and we let that ground sit fallow for until 2007. Um, yeah. So then that was 2001. Um, my little ice cream factory and Willy Wonka thing in San Francisco. I don't, did you ever come to the factory? I don't, I don't recall. I don't think so. So it, but it I feel like I, in our last year we built, we, we brought in some Italian equipment that made it very automated 150 ice cream bars a minute type thing. Right. Um, and it was a blast. I think I, what, what I remember is that? I remember the product. Our, our brand was Howler products and we also, that last year we made skinny cow. Oh, okay. Um, well that's a good one. Did? Yeah. Yeah. They're actually really good. <laughs> I, I liked them. Was that it? a contract thing? Yes. Yeah. That was the, that was the contract. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we laughed. You're not a big fan of skinny cow anymore, or it was the contract. Let's <laughs> probably still on a, on a probably still can't talk a about lifelong, it. uh, <laughs> silence. Yeah, no, I, I, as I said, I got paid to get out of business by the largest and third largest ice cream companies in the United States. And so I didn't bankrupt and I didn't lose the farm. Right. That's perfect. Um, but, uh, it was not pleasant at all. Um, and I had 30 employees one day and two the next. And so that teaches you a lot um, about business. Yeah. Um, and so when I, and we had investors and, and I, there, it wasn't, I mean, today looking back, it, it was not a lot of money. We had $1.1 million investors over three rounds. The last round was the biggest and that was probably half of it, almost half of it. And they were venture funds. Yeah. Half a million dollars in venture funds being. <laughs> but they, we, we lost all of that money. I lost you know, I, I, I had lent, I'd borrowed against the farm and lent it to the company and lost all that. Not, not all of it, but lots of it. Um, and so I had a big mortgage come the end of 2004. Um, and, uh, but I had some cash that came back where I could either pay off that mortgage or start something. And by then, it, you know, to, if I look at Lichen where I, I planted the ground in 2008, I prepped the ground in 2007, our first bottle was bottled in 2013. That is not a formula for cash flow. No. Um, and so I I started Brego, my first <laughs> company, as a with purchase fruit. Right. And I was a puppy. I was I was 30, I think 38 years old. Um, and you know, a generation younger than everybody who I was gonna buy fruit from. Um, and, and I you also weren't from there. Well, I was by then. Oh, yeah, I guess you were. So we, li we had lived full yeah. time there, yeah. and, and yeah. people had seen our farm really change. Um, like, we took a place that had been dilapidated and made it a, a little gem on the highway. We're, we're, we're right on the highway. Yeah. I think I slept in my car when, when we went up You there. were better off because the spiders would have yeah. gotten you. Yeah. It was, it was a shell of a house. Yes. It was literally falling down. Yeah. Um, and we spent the next three years, like, every weekend coming to Anderson Valley, not sore and leaving with sore thumbs and sore backs. Right. Um, but we totally gutted it and we, we just rebuilt it ourselves. Um, yeah. And, and, and so in 05, I had, I was looking at my options and, and I thought I, I can't afford to plant vineyard. Um, and so I went to all the best farmers in the Valley and I said, we, we would like to, make wines with your name on the label, meaning the vineyard designate. Yeah. And now that seems stupid obvious. Right. But we were the first to do it in Anderson Valley. Um, you know, William Selliam was buying Farrington for 10 years, 
15 years before that, Savoy was selling to a number of top tier Sonoma County producers. Um, and both of them, uh, had been kind of abused by some of the big companies, meaning they, they both sold to small top tier producers, but also, um, let's not name names, but very large global wine companies. And the big ones were saying, you know what? Pinot's worth $1,500 a ton now. Right. And that's what you're going to get. Right. And <laughs> both owners were like, you can go yourselves, yeah. literally. Uh, and I got great fruit. Um, we got Chardonnay and, and Pinot from Savoy. We started with Pinot Noir from Farrington, but ended up with, he reminded me, five different varietals from Farrington. Uh, Kurt Shoneman after I, I exited Brego was, was, was bragging about how he had, who else do you know who has five different varietals from a singer vineyard that, that have gotten over 90 points from Robert Parker. Right. And I said, Kurt, all five of those <laughs> were from me. Perfect. Um, I mean, he, he'd gotten lots of nineties on, on Pinot, but um, he has Pinot Noir Chardonnay. I think they may have taken the Syrah out. They had the most spectacular uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, yeah. that was own rooted in 1971 and it, it got phylloxera, but, um, yeah. And Gewurz. And wow. so we're getting this year, we got Gewurz, Pinot and Chardonnay from them. So, so see, I kind of forgot about that. I, I was thinking that you planted and that's where Brega started, but you started on purchase fruit. So you just, you, <laughs> you jumped right into the wine business. Yeah. And I, I mean, and I thought, well, people talk about Pinot as being the heartbreak, heartbreak grape. First of all, that's not true. Uh, and and I think there's a mystery or a taught mystery about winemaking. Um, but I'd spent 10 years formulating fruit products with exotic fruits that nobody had ever tasted and, and, and then spent the last year and a half of my sorbet and gelato and ice cream venture working with a PhD from Dryers on food science. And so you learn food science as an ice cream maker, you learn sorbet in sorbet, you learn fruit. You don't want it to rot on purpose. Whereas as a winemaker, you do want it to yeah. rot on purpose. Big, big difference. <laughs> um, and then, uh, the pumps, the, the, the sanitation, the tanks, everything in ice cream. I mean, it, in back when I was a kid in Sonoma, you could go to virtually any winery and you'd see an, a, a, a dairy tank cause everything had been dairy and then it moved to, right. to wine. Um, and dairy tanks are better quality because they have to be, um, meaning a better quality stainless, uh, cause you can kill people if it's not perfectly sanitary. Um, and so I, what I didn't realize when I got into the wine business was how, how much I actually knew about the process of winemaking, um, and the, and the, and the food science behind winemaking. Um, cause I'd never really talked to my friends about it. Like I, I, I had all these winemaker friends. Um, and I, we didn't talk about winemaking. We talked about the business side, right. but ice cream and winemaking don't seem, seem the same. And then, then the other things that you gain from running a ice cream company for 10 years, we became the number one organic sorbet company in the country. Um, you learn distribution, you learn finance, you learn right. branding, you learn, um, how to get, uh, ripped off by distributors and stores. <laughs> um, and so you, you, you margins and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and, um, I, I think I've actually, even in Brego days, very successfully avoided, um, 
that side of the wine distribution world. I know it exists. My brother, who is still lives in the Valley, mm -hmm. um, worked for what became RNDC, worked for Young's Estates Group for years. Um, and after, he had restaurants. And he, he had, had restaurants. a restaurant for years before that. Yes. So he he knew both sides of it. Yeah, and and um, you know he was, you know he was slinging million case products. Right. Um, and that world is so different from a twenty five hundred case winery like Lichen is. And Brego started at eighteen hundred cases. We ended up the the year I sold it, we were at eight thousand cases. I think that's kind of where they stayed. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. That's. I mean, that's. Yeah. Kudos to you, dude. It was I mean, a good five-year run. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's absolutely. How did you? Uh, so, oh, go uh, ahead. No, no, you um, go ahead. How, how did you end up in Anderson Valley? And and if you can, uh, since we're very familiar with Sonoma Valley and the uh, climate and the soils, etc., what's uh, tell us the differences up in Anderson Valley? Sure. So, Valley. per Bart's uh, earlier statement, I've been kind of a sparkling fanatic since college. Um, my uh, roommate in college and my daughter's godfather, um, he would go to France. Uh, he would buy and sell art and go to France on his art sales. Um, and one time he came back our senior year, we were living in a double wide trailer. And uh, he came back with 12 bottles of all like the- Wait a minute, where was the double wide trailer parked? Right in the middle of Stanford campus. <laughs> um, we were the last to live in it. Uh, they plowed them after we left. Um, and I was, I was an RA of the, of the double whites. Um, but yeah, uh, we took pride in our double white. I'm sure you did. Um, I'm sure you did. I, I, you know, it's funny is I didn't even realize it was a double white until graduation. <laughs> and I had all my aunts and uncles and grandparents come and, and they met me at the trailer and every single one of them said, Oh, it's a double white. <laughs> like, it's like, dude, damn, dude, it's still a trailer. Uh, and a pretty trash 40-year-old trailer at that. Um, so, yeah. And, in fact, six of those actually migrated from Stanford to Anderson Valley. And Mary Elke's house on the Donnelly Creek Ranch was one of those. Because they found out they, that Stanford was saying, take them for a dollar. And Mary had... Whoa. Yeah. And, and Mary had been at Stanford when I was teaching. Uh, her son, Matt, who's now running their farm in Anderson Valley, was a seventh grader when I started teaching eighth grade at Georgia Middle School. Um, so, anyway... Uh, the, to answer your first question, um, I was a Sonoma County denizen as a kid, but my mom moved back here in 93, I think, um, and lived in Sebastopol. And, and as a fan of sparkling wine, I thought, where's the best place in Sonoma County to grow sparkling? And the answer is West County. Um, and the farther West, the better, essentially. Um, and so I was looking for a home and a farm in West County and finding lots of, you know, bedraggled homes on five acres for $800,000. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I was trying to do the math on how you could make a living on five acres of a farm that also already had a home cut out on it. Right. Um, and I was sitting back in the day, the press Democrat used to advertise houses and properties. And so I was reading, I always read it every weekend. I would go up there every weekend and, and, uh, and there was this line that said 163 acres in Anderson Valley. I want to, I want to say 72 plantable $499,000. Cha-ching. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was, I was calling something different, but I, so I called up the realtor who was listed, who answered the phone and said, no, we're serious. Go up there. Uh, and I, so I drove up that day. Um, that was June 6th of 
1996. I've got a picture with a date stamp on it. We used to have pictures. I mean, it's pretty amazing because it's it is it's highway frontage, right? That so for to answer your question, Anderson Valley, John, north of Sonoma County, you know, it's a valley that runs um, essentially north south. Essentially north south. But because of the way, so so it goes from Cloverdale to the Mendocino Coast, right? And it's almost due north um, because of the way the coast is shifting, um, meaning it, it juts out at Point Arena right. and then comes back. The Navarro River. The Navarro River. Um, it is the coldest um, Appalachian on the West Coast. Really? So the way that the uh, it's on the Pacific Ocean, the Navarro is like a, a gun barrel from the top to the bottom. Excuse me. Watch this. Um, hey, Joan. Guests and visitors. Are we allowed to pause? We are allowed to pause. Absolutely. Hi, Joan. It's Doug Stewart. <laughs> oh, so funny. She didn't know who it was. All right. I am going to pause. And we're back <laughs> after Joan uh, Stagnito just shows up. Everybody knows Joan. Yeah. Especially everybody knows Cash. Yes. Right. So that's there you go. Her pup. Um, yeah. So, uh, so you're saying it's a so shotgun. I'm, yeah. It's a, it, it, it is pointing at the Gulf of Alaska. And so if you think about how the um, the um, jet streams in, is in my head, but the, how the Gulf of Mexico has one flow of water right. and the Gulf of Alaska has another. Right. Those typically meet between Santa Cruz and San Francisco. So if you're swimming in the waters of San Francisco, you're in a wetsuit. And you can swim without a wetsuit in Santa Cruz. Right. Um, that where that is shifts during the year, and it shifts um, not just seasonally, but in you know like El Nino, La Nina shifts. But it, it sometimes gets as far north as the Russian River. Often gets to San Francisco. Never gets to Anderson Valley. So we are we are seeing the winds and the cold water from the Gulf of Alaska all year, every year. So it's much colder than, say, Carneros or right. even the Sonoma Coast. So the Sonoma Coast, the true, I, what I think of as true Sonoma Coast, Casadero, you know, where Hirsch and whatnot are, those are pretty high up. Yep. And they are warm yep. during the night. And 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 they and, get warm. Yeah. When, you know, I They're mean, at, if the fog isn't in, then they get warm up there. Mm -hmm. If the fog comes in, then that helps keep them cooler. Um, but they do get it That's right. get hot. So we have an Appalachian just south of Anderson Valley in Mendocino County called the, uh, the Mendocino Ridge Appalachian, and right. they call it Islands in the Sky. Um, we purchased fruit from Alan Green, who was one of the founders of Anderson Valley's Appalachian back in 83 of Greenwood Ridge. Um, we got Riesling from him um, the last year uh, that I owned Brego, and we were, Ryan and I left the valley floor, and it was 50 degrees and foggy, and got to Greenwood Ridge in our jackets, and it was 85 at 10:30 in the morning. So you know, um, it's interesting though. The fog has so many different critical uh, points of impact. Sure. I mean, it's it, it's people rely on it. Yeah. Every single day. Yeah. And, the, and it's it's part of the weather pattern that you're looking for. Yeah, totally. And Absolutely. and and. Um, but so, who would have thought fog? Well, and I want to I want to do the flip side of that though. So so in Anderson Valley, the, they have the people who are closer to the coast call themselves the deep end, 
and I'm not going to make fun of them. Um, uh, off the deep, end. and I'm not going to make fun of myself as the shallow ender. But um, uh, it's actually so that it's both the fog and the temperature inversions. Um, so with the ridges, um, when it turns nighttime, the cold air drops into the valley floor, and the hot air rises above that cold air. So you've got a temperature inversion. And that typically rises up to about 900 feet in the Anderson Valley. So our, our farm is at 300 feet at the ground floor. So it's, it's 600 feet up. And the, the ridges are where we are are about 1,200, 1,300 feet. Um, so all that cold air is dumping down and cooling us off every afternoon. Uh, there's, there's, there's the wind that's coming in from the Pacific. And then the cold air from the ridges is coming down. Um, and especially overnight, as cold air is generated, it, it keeps coming down. So the, interestingly, the mountains are higher on the south end of the Anderson Valley, so on the Boonville end, and the coldest, um, what do you call them, uh, heat days, right. locations. Ours is the second compared to the one across the street, which is on the riverbed. Um, that's the coldest measured spot in Anderson Valley, it's, which is pretty far away from the coast, but you've got both that coastal influence with the wind right. and you've got those cold ridges dumping. Right. Well, the, the, the cold from those ridges. Yeah. yeah. Dumping. Because, down. because the, the, it's a little bit, well, it's, it's wider, farther, farther South, right? It gets wider, but you're kind of, it starts to, there's right? a pinch point. We're in there the pinch point. pinch point. Yeah. 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 So it's that Boonville is like in a bowl. Um, and we're in the pinch point. So, so going back to your question, Anderson Valley, cold climate. Um, for certainly since when I arrived, um, the farmers have been promoting themselves as a great place to grow Pinot Noir. We have a uh, uh, the Anderson Valley Pinot Noir um, weekend is our biggest weekend of the year. Um, but I was actually attracted because of the sparkling. And I think it, it, just like champagne, the best sparkling is made in cold climates. Right. And so that in Europe is migrating now, um, meaning the, the climate change, champagne's getting warmer, Alsace is getting warmer, Burgundy is getting warmer because they're continental. Where do you go? England. Yeah. Sweden. And yeah. so they're now making really great sparkling wine <laughs> right. in England. Right. Um, interestingly, there was a um, professor from the Kulmar, which is in Alsace. We had, we used to call it the Alsace Fest. He came over and it was probably somewhere around 2010 when he showed the graph of climate, how climate change was affecting France, specifically the Kulmar station um, and compared it to Anderson Valley. And you saw this, I'm going to say almost a hockey stick line going up um, for that continental European cold climate. Anderson Valley is flatlined. And the reason is we're sitting on the largest heat sink in the world. And so I think the same is going to be true for um, all of the coastal what's ranges. It, what's that heat, heat sink? The okay. Pacific Ocean. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about... Because uh, you're how many miles from geology. the Pacific Ocean we're, as I the crow flies? I think 10 as the crow flies and 16 or... It might be more um, by by the river. Right. So what's your soil like up there? <clears throat> um, so our seven acres, um, our giant seven-acre vineyard, meter by meter, so it's 28,000 vines, is sitting on three very different soil types. One is called bear wallow wolfy loam. Um, another is a different uh, different 
side of that complex with more sand. So it's a sandier loam. And then we have a very clay influenced block um, where all of our, uh, well, a lot of our Pinot Gris grows. Um, and that, those two, well, the, the this loam, this Bear Walla Wolfie, it's a place in Anderson Valley, but it's named after that place. Um, those are predominant throughout the valley. Um, either and and you could take if 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 somebody took an arrow and shot at four at a 400 to 500 foot elevation you would find um uh um that clay lens almost from throughout the whole throughout valley. the whole valley on the north side of the valley um and that has uh oh, i'm gonna blank on it a, a deadly uh, stone that kills the vines. What, what am I thinking? Oh, um, uh, the blue. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's blue this, shale. This should be on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. Anyway, when I stop and, thinking and about it, it does how? Um, I mean, so the, it, it's shale. toxic to vines. So we put SO4 rootstock in that block because it SO4 can handle and 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 that block is 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 far enough below where these rocks are that it's not toxic. Um, manganese. Is it manganese? Um, it's been 15 years since I did this. Have stuff. you ever heard of this rock? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, up uh, Benziger, there was a vineyard called Blue Rock, and the vines always just struggled there. And yeah. it, was, it was all planted on this, like, blue shale. And the chemical is... Uh, I can't find it. Well, we're yet. going for. We'll come back. Google to it. at this moment. We'll, yeah. Hopefully, we'll <laughs> yeah. cut that out. Right? No, we don't cut anything out, Doug. We don't so. edit. You can say what you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, the the whole valley has this influence, and you can actually see it because the, the land slides. So you see all these um, kind of washed out right hills, th two three hundred feet above the valley floor, um, and it it's kind of from end to end. After I don't know if it's in the redwoods, but the redwoods start. <laughs> After, I mean, I'm, I'm going to describe it as Handley and Lula, the the far end of the valley from us in terms of wineries. Right. Um, and then it's all redwoods to the coast, and it's it's state parks and beautiful, right. but a totally different um, thing. Yeah, and and it's weird because it really is, as you say, the pinch point is about where you're at, and um, it gets narrow and narrow until you hit it's just river and redwoods in the hills. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and it it so the Navarro frequently floods down there and so and so think about what when it used to flood like i mean that's why it's that way right it, it flooded that whole that whole canyon you know the whole the whole uh, valley flooded back in the old days and deposited it all right on your farm right actually that's true so so the right. river at one point probably did go through our farm yeah because there's a uh, there's a set of rocks that are about i want to say 110 feet down where from 40 to 110 feet we get we get a lot of water um and relative to the Anderson Valley there's there are virtually no agricultural wells in the valley but we have a 30 gallon a minute well um and that's because once upon a time there was a and it and that lens of rock because of the way the river migrated across the valley floor um I assume connects to the Navarro well not the Navarro the Anderson Creek that's a uh, I don't know, a thousand feet away from us. So I want to talk about the 09 uh, Anderson Valley Shard first, or at least talk about it. Savoy. Uh, Savoy. Um, 
it's it's really beautiful. I mean, it's still so alive and um, I mean, it's not like it's all tertiary, right? It's really kind of developed kind of mature flavors, but really beautiful. Um, uh, and when you taste it against that, you can see a lineage for sure, right? Yeah, pointing to the our Anderson Valley, not a not a vineyard designate. So right. That today would be a, I mean, seventy five dollar wine. This, May I this would be thirty five. <sighs> um, okay, so so you grow Brago to eight thousand, and then what what happened? What transformed? What what was what was the transact or what was the inspiration? Yeah. And how long did that take to grow to eight thousand? Um, well, so I was oppor opportunistic. Um, Brago had done just stupid well. Um, we, I got all these contracts, right? Well, contracts, handshakes, right before um, uh, Sideways came out, and so literally God. the Pinot Noir business was transformed by a movie. And unfortunately for the bunchus, the the Merlot business was as well at the time. Um, but but not not mocking. Um, literally, I I I had gotten the best vineyards, the best known vineyards from Mendocino County, and in some ways in the Pinot world, um, right before that happened. Right. And I the way I did it is I said I will pay you what you think your fruit is worth, not what the big guys are offering. And they appreciated that, and and they worked with me, and they they gave me insanely great terms and insanely great pricing, um, and uh, and so we were able to, um, as I, did I say this already? Yeah, we were able to get some good scores, but in our by our second vintage, um, Robert Parker called our Pinot Gris the finest ever in the New World, and wow. we we were. According to um, our Wine Growers Association, they did a survey of how many um, single vineyard uh, or any any Mendocino appellated wines got over ninety points in that publication, and we were nine out of seventeen. Um, That's so, a beautiful way to start, isn't it? it sure is. Yeah. So so okay. we nice. This was still two thousand eight when we got best new winery from Food and Wine, and like. Tanzer and and um, Wine Spectator, we we were we were really uh, doing well in the ratings world. Um, Anderson Valley was and Anderson Valley was up. hot. Yep. Um, not in the it's cool climate, damn it. Right. Um, but yes, it was blowing up, and I was getting like people were poking around the and and so um, I. Did, did, <laughs> so. People do. Do you get phone calls from lawyers? Do you get phone calls from owners? You get phone calls from. I I don't want to. That's all right. I don't want to use the right. word minions, but you get you get phone calls from owners. So so. Come on, Sam. We're talking about what happens when someone comes and wants to buy your winery. Um. So nice. Say yes. So <laughs> so what if Constellation walks in here tomorrow? No. So, no, so no 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 no. This is this is way cooler than Constellation. <laughs> yeah. So this so the answer was. Um, we were saying no, and um, well, yeah, you say you say no first. Yeah, well, no, we were we meant yes. it. So, so, and, and in retrospect, had I had I been able to m say no and mean it, um, we even though we did very well in the sale, we sold the brand, kept the land, um, did very well with the sale, sold it to Cliff Lady, um, and shout out Chris Tynan. Okay, <laughs> is he making their wines now? Um, Cliff Lady. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's the winemaker there. 
Got it. So I, and I've only dealt with Ryan and Sarah because they're at fell. Um, have dealt with the president, uh, Tony. They were tremendous and made this whole Brego thing easy. And I want to give a shout out to Cliff and to um, Tony. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it was the banks is the answer that there was a snake or a set of snakes in a bank that was financing virtually every small producer in high-end Pinot Noir. Um, and there was a, uh, let's call it a, no, I'm not going to use that word today, That's but right. it was a terrible event, I would say. And the, 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 the best, the, 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 the producers who were doing the best all sold within like 18 months of each other. And it was, they all had the same bank and I haven't talked to the others about it, but, huh. um, we were forced to sell. We were told that, you know, we, Rob McMillan said, we think this this whole market's going to tank. This is in the fall of 2008 after the after the whole Lehman Brothers thing. Right. We had our best quarter ever in the spring of 2009. So Rob was wrong with us. Right. Um, I know that the after we sold it, it remained profitable throughout the downturn. Like we, it was a great little business, um, and I, it, I I was I regretted selling it. And, yeah. And so did my wife. Um, and we started Lichen, we had, we had just planted the estate vineyard in 2008. Um, so perfect timing <laughs> before instead of after the, <laughs> um, and so, and, and it was a slow recovery. I mean, the, the, the 08, 09 downturn took years and years to recover from. So did you not, I, I'm trying to remember, did you not make wine for Lichen until the 2012, until it came on, on, on yeah, we had a one ton vintage on 28,000 vines. We brought in one ton in 2011. We had eight tons sitting out there in July. And then I was say 2011 was a hard first, that was a hard first vintage first, for those, yeah. for those poor baby Mildew graves. annihilated yeah, Especially half in the Anderson yeah. Valley. And then yeah. turkeys got the rest. So we, we got one ton um, that we didn't drop or, you know, um, and that ton became the base wine for our Solera, which I didn't bring, unfortunately, but uh, we make a multi-vintage blend uh, that two barrels of 2011 Pinot Noir combined with six barrels of 2012 Pinot Noir made a, just a spectacular blend um, that I could sell in the summer of 2013 because I was desperate for cash. And people who were tasting that versus our what would become our estate program um, were like, I like the Solera better. And so we kept two barrels and we did it again six and two every time and we've done that ever and since do you just bottle it non-vintage yeah we the current bottling the most recent bottling is solera volume 12 which has 13 vintages wow is that right no solera volume 11 12 vintages yeah 11 12 13 right. all, all the way through 22 yeah and it's awesome it gets better every year and you so you keep and so so, yeah, so say you, the process say the process again from we blend, first two barrels we blend eight of barrels. 2011 we blend eight barrels yes we blend eight barrels it's always two barrels it's a quarter of the entire history of our vineyard right and three quarters new vintage and you blend it all together blend it all together bottle two, we bottle six barrels we bottle six barrels of it and, and keep, keep two, two for the two of time. that That's blend right. for the and interestingly they, those two barrels act um, so the the word Solera comes from Sherry and Madeira, and it's the process, and it's also the the vessels right. that they use, um, where they typically will have a very large vessel 
where they'll drain, let's say, 10% and bottle that and then put the new vintage on top of that. Right. And so they taste like sherry and Madeira, which is an older wine. They've got this, I think of it as a hazelnut character. Um, sh- sh- let's just say sherry and Madeira character. Yes. And so those two barrels that are now, let's say, another 12 months older than they than the Solera that we barreled always has that character. Meaning, so they're now, they've now been in barrel for somewhere between 24 months and 10 years. Um, and they they develop that character fairly quickly, so you get this mystery character in that wine mm. every year um, wow. that gives it an older component. But it, because of the seventy five percent new wines, and we'll talk about it when we get to the reds. But um, I so I, I I coached Bart before we before I came to say that I don't like to talk about my own wines. <laughs> I'd prefer other people's mouths be the judge. Bart turns out not super coachable. Dane's more coachable. <laughs> yeah, Dane might be more coachable. Um, but yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, so so you just tasted our two Chardonnays. I jumped, I, I jumped right into the 09. Right. I uh, figured zero to I, six. I mean, I, I made my comments about the 09. I, I mean, it's an 09 Chardonnay that, you know, would I pick it out as an aged Chardonnay at this point? Um, I don't know that I would, um, but it's in a really intriguing wine and really delicious. Um but I don't drink a lot of Chardonnay. Um, and neither did I. Right. What there's, we, a, there's, there's just like a sweet fruit to it. I know. And, and, and some of that, I'm, I'm guessing, this is, the, is the age. Also, Anderson Valley. That that would be my point. Anderson Valley does right? I mean, great is, acid. Right. It's the, it's the acidity. I'm, it's like I'm the surrounded by sweet all acid. Deadhead. That's exactly what it is. Does, does everybody know that you're, you're, this place is full of deadhead <laughs> Stuff. Sorry, uh, who are the Grateful Dead and why yeah. are they yeah. following me? Right. <laughs> so I feel like welcome, well, welcome to my acid party. Um, sorry, acid is accepted at this, at this um, residence. <laughs> yes, uh, acid required. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so so Anderson Valley, if you pick it right, and we can over ripen fruit for sure, um, but if you pick it right, it has this great native acid and and it gives wines a longevity that is amazing. And so in the purchase of purchase back from Cliff Lady of the Brego brand, we got not just a large quantity of Chardonnay, which we've bottled um, as, as a Farrington Savoy vineyard designates and, and Anderson Valley Chardonnay. We also um, got the entire library. So from 2005 to 2012, um, we got 85 different cases of wine, and it's almost everything we made in terms of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. That's cool. So it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to talk a little bit about how that how that conversation came up. Of like, how is it that Brego was all of a sudden available? Like, oh, I, and so- I know it had to do it. I, I guess I heard that it had something to do with the fact that Savoy Vineyard traded hands, right? I, and so, can, no, I think it was more strategic than that. Actually. Okay. So can, uh, but can you talk a little bit about the history of Savoy Vineyard and and it? Not with an empty glass. Um, <laughs> there you go. And so, then Doug, what? So I just poured myself a little bit of the Pinot yeah. Gris. Am I supposed to bring the sparkling out next? Uh, the white Pinot. The white Pinot next. Um, so Savoy Vineyard was the preeminent vineyard in Mendocino County. I would I would argue that it has been one of the preeminent vineyards in in um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir anywhere in the United States. Um, m- most of it made outside of Anderson Valley. And recently all of it made outside of Anderson Valley. 
Um, and so meaning, when, meaning that the wineries buying the fruit are all none of them have facility in actually in that's the correct. We were the only one ever. Well, not ever. Or or they're not even a Anderson Valley winery, right? It's not even a matter that they don't like. They have a tasting room right. there. Oh, it's like a okay, yeah, yeah. right? It's, it's I it's, mean, it's literary Radio Cateau, right? Uh, a tour, um, right? Hey, no, no, yeah. Does hey. Bradley get his hands on any of this Savoy? Probably if he doesn't, he wants to. I, I I imagine somewhere along the way when when they had well, yeah, when they had Sojourn. I mean, well, I guess he still has Sojourn, but right. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't I don't know all of them since we right. So when I sold Brego to Cliff. Cliff said, "I love property." Um, I was I like, love "Property? <laughs> yeah." Well, I'm not. I don't know what this conversation was, but let's just say he loves property, and and I'm not. That's not an insult. I think that's. I, I admire that. Um, and he was. He, he said, "What do you think?" And I said, "Well, I think Rich Savoy may be interested in retiring, and he's he, uh, you know, his vineyard is the most renowned. That and Farrington are the two most renowned yeah. vineyards, um, and." So I invited Rich Savoy over to my porch and I said, what do you think? And he sold it to Cliff. Uh, so, so will you, will you, um, I don't know if you said this already, but just sort of like place in the Valley, in, in Mendocino County and Anderson Valley, where the vineyard is and where Savoy is. Savoy, sure. How big so is it? Like what kind of Savoy as is, if I've never heard of it. Oh, um, let me finish that story. He okay. j so so he bought Savoy in 2010 or 11. Um, they just sold Savoy to Donham Estate over the summer, which oh, is what right, triggered right. Yeah, which yeah. is what triggered me calling them and saying, "You're out of the business." And they very intentionally they had a press release. They said they they're focusing on their Napa Valley property, Cabernet, um, and that was that was strategic. It was not a like a whoops, um, right. and so that's why it was such a friendly. I think negotiation, they were out of the business. So Savoy sits, so our property sits on the north east side of the highway. Savoy also sits on the northeast side of the highway. Our property sits at the exact halfway point between Boonville and Philo. So at, at a little pinch point in the in the Boonville end of the valley. Savoy sits a mile past Philo, so four miles beyond our property. And it's also in a little pinch point in the valley. So, and past Savo at past Philo, as in going north, going northeast, correct, or northwest, going towards the ocean, towards the ocean, up the canyon, yes, or you know down the river, yes. Okay, it sounds like just a, such a beautiful place. To well, and it, live, you know it is, and it's all. also um, so different geolog ge uh, geographically, John, than than. Basically anything else in Son anything in Sonoma County. Oh, it's way up there. Well, and I mean, and the way has to be. Um, the the valley goes basically from the southeast to the northwest is a totally different direction than most valleys in, in right. California, and I, right? And and you stepped in late, but I I was explaining how if you if you think of it as a gun barrel, it's pointing at the Gulf of Alaska, right? And we get that weather system, and we get that ocean temperature. All year long, right? And so it's we get a cool wind reliably every afternoon, whether it's summer or winter. But in the summer, especially, so we have, we can have a fifty de degree diurnal range 
for lots of the summer. 40 degrees is normal. That's average. And it just shoots right up the valley, right? Yep. Up past Bo- Boonville. And oh, yeah. Waterfront. Well, and the cold uh, right. cold air comes down. And so we'll have, you know, a 95-degree day sometimes or more in the summer, and it'll be 48 at night. Right. And so you get the great acidity from that reformation in the grape. Um, and, and I mean, stuff doesn't, I, I use 95 cause stuff doesn't grow above 95. It sort of shuts down, but, um, our, our typical summer days are, can be quite warm. Right. Um, but, but it's that average temperature and it's that diurnal range that did, makes the wines. Did you forget the wine? No. Pinot Blanc? Right here. Uh, White Pinot Noir. White Pinot Noir. Okay. There we go. I was looking at your website and I was so whoever, deep in whoever's taking your photo. Sorry, Bart. It's beautiful. You're in the deep end. I was in the deep end. I was way past Philo. Uh, well, that's, I was an elk. Uh, I was thinking about going up the coast of Mendocino. I'm there already. Yeah. So it is. I. So if I can, if I can give a shout out, I'm. I'm also the the president of the Anderson Valley Wine Growers as of October. Um, it is my commute. I, I live in Healdsburg and I commute to Boonville. <laughs> I mean, that's a tough commute. It's windy. It's, it's but not it is tough. Literally, it's literally, I think, the most beautiful road from 101 to the coast anywhere in California. It, it, it's, it is absolutely, Stunning. you were correct. Like the Redwood, more- the driving through the Redwoods um, in that section is what every tourist should see. Yep. Um, but it's also if you go over Yorkville Highlands. Yeah, it's the yeah. it's the progression of it, right? Yeah, right. you're dropping because, through Oak, yeah. Oak right. Highlands, and in the winter, half much of it drops its leaves, and that's where the the walls of lichen, right, and they glow in the morning with yeah. the, with. It's just so spectacular, and even though I drive it every day, every day I'm like, wow, that's yeah. this is spectacular. Yeah, it, it, it's beautiful, and then and even I've done this only a couple times, but when you Drive in from Ukiah. What is that road? Oh, coming over there. Two fifty three. Yeah, if if you don't mind cliffs. Right. Well, that's that's just it. I mean, (laughs) but a spectacular drive. Drive in. No, Um, Anderson Valley is absolutely spectacular, and it's it it the the thing that stops people from going there is those roads. It's it's that they're so windy and so steep in some places. and used to be so unsafe, uh, but th- they solved that with those little bumpy things in the middle. Yeah. Um, 2012, they they put a new highway in and they put the bumpy things in the middle and people stopped crossing. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's it's a beautiful area. And then just the fact that you go from such dryness, you know, at the top of Yorkville Highlands. Believe it or not, it's wetter. Yeah. Is it's, it really? Yeah, they get like 80 inches of rain a year. They do we, more than yeah. well, down in the valley. Well, I mean more just what it, it looks it dry. Looks. Right. Yeah, it looks dry. It's it looks it's, it's oak and chaparral, but it's yeah, it's it's actually the ridges are technically a rainforest from the coast all the way to the highlands. Hmm. All the way to Yorkville Highlands. Yep. Having studied rainforests as a kid. What's the food scene in Anderson Valley like right now? Um, well, uh, we've partnered with a, one of the Restaurants that was thriving before COVID um, got pummeled by the closures and then pummeled more by the difficulty in finally finding people to work at restaurants. Right. Um, That's Janelle of the Bewildered Pig. Um, So we're doing food together now. Um, We, having just occupied a new tasting room where Phillips Hill used to be, which is between Navarro Greenwood Ridge on one side and Toomey and Rotor on the other, we're going to be doing pop-ups and and 
winemaker dinners, um, we announced a winemaker dinner with her uh, and sold out in three and a half hours, two and a half hours. Wow. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, so she's coming back. I'm going to, I want to give a shout out to her with us. Um, and then you've got the Boonville hotel. Um, so, uh, Johnny Schmidt is the co-owner of the Boonville hotel with my neighbor, neighbor, Roger Skavenga. Um, Johnny comes from a line of, um, uh, Schmitz who started the French laundry. Um, and Johnny is quite a spectacular chef himself, but his nephew, um, is awesome and makes the food there now. So he's the head chef. He used to be at Shed in Healdsburg, and I did a winemaker dinner with him, I think in like 2015 or 16. You hear that, Brian? Um, right. Love the Shed. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Well, was I was just thinking shed. tasting the white Pinot after tasting the 09 Chardonnay. Um, the Brian is so sad he's not here on this. this, <laughs> this I mean, that this show. white when, Pinot is like... Well, the way it's like combines like the acidity and structure of white wine with like also being a juicy right pinot noir at 11.4 at 11 point and i had to look for it too you had to look for a second to find it on there but to look for the abv to like what you pick that at and how you make it to have that combination of of juiciness and well and and sam you Miss the Pinot Gris. The, the Pinot Gris has back. this like I'll move backwards. I'll go sideways. This, I don't care. This um, juiciness <laughs> also like kind of common thread, I guess, um, but different flavor profiles. Like this is like tropical fruit, like almost, almost like a like a gum, right? You're, pu you're putting in the Pinot Gris. The Pinot Gris. Yeah. No, the white Pinot is white wine with red fruit. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. fucking it's, wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like one of those, you know, you'd like, you eat the, the the bean that makes everything taste weird, you know, like one of those, like, mm -hmm. mind fuckers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I dig it. So, Bart, um, I explained to Bart that I don't like to talk about my own wines. I like other people's mouths to talk about them. And I'm not much of a talker about winemaking, but I will talk about this one, okay. the, the white wines. Um, so... I think, as I said, I, we, we got this crazy finest ever in the new world from Parker in 2006 about our, our, our Pinot Gris. And I thought, oh, I must have figured something out. <laughs> um, and every time you figure something out, at least in my world, it's because you made a mistake. <laughs> um, and so, or somebody did, um, right? <laughs> uh, that might be, is that the first guest in guest spoken um, T-shirt line, right? Every time you figure something out, it's because you made a mistake. Hundred percent, right? Yeah. Oh, that's the God, only that's way so, you learn. So yeah, you learn from yeah, your mistakes. Yeah. You don't really learn um, from all this. Nobody's ever said that, but you learn from your mistakes. Right. Um, I did say the first one. Um, so anyway, the, in 2006, <laughs> Michelle Sog, who was my mentor in winemaking, he was the founding winemaker of Rotorer and invented the Lermitage Rotorer Estate in Anderson Valley which is by far the largest producer in Anderson Valley. Um, he, you know, he did the Lermitage, highest rated sparkling wine producer in the United States, probably still. Um, and he, I, I had known him when I was trying to get Rotor to give me a pre-plant contract, which they did not. Um, but he was kind and he was a wonderful human being. Um, and he had, he had retired from Rotor and he had invented a press and, 
um, Mary Elke told me, you should call Michelle because he invented a red wine press and you're planning on making red wines. And so I called Michelle. And Michelle came over to my house and sat in my living room and talked to me about his press. But he basically convinced me that the way to make Pinot Noir is to be, and I'm not going to, I would butcher his French accent, but I, is to be gentle. Um, and the press that he invented was gentle. And it's still sitting actually on 8th Street here. We sold it with the winery. Um, we bought the press number one. Oh, is it the one at the Cocard? Uh, the, the Cocard, the little one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you see it in the window, and or yeah, they call it the bucket press. And yeah. I was his, I was the first and only customer that year. And he said, I, "I will help you make the wine." And so he was on the pad every single day of harvest, um, and taking notes and take you know taking measurements and all this on, on what we did with that press. Um, but he offered to make sparkling with me. And in 2005, we got our permit to build the building a week before harvest. So uh, it was a little late to make sparkling. Um, but in 2006, we pulled a, a ton of Pinot Gris from Wiley Vineyard, which is at the very end of the valley toward the coast. So cold, cold, cold. Uh, shout out to uh, Cody Rasmus and Desire Lines makes yep. a Riesling from Wiley Vineyard. Wiley, yeah. yeah. Lucky them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we got Wiley for the first time in 2006. Brad is one of the other founders of Alley, and, and um, Michelle had worked together for a long time, knew each other very well. Um, and so we did this one-ton experiment of sparkling Pinot Gris. Um, so we pulled that ton, and there were five tons left on the vine. And 06 was a really wet year in the spring, and I mean really wet, like 29 days out of 31 in March were raining. And then it was a wildly hot, October. So it took forever to ripen. We called the pick toward the end of October. Set on, let's say on Saturday, we'd take it on Monday. And the guy who was farming the vineyard said, hey, Brad had um, a farming company do it. He said, right. Um, because they far they would pick as, you know, first the stuff that was ripest as the valley went along. And there's a limited number of pickers. We got that fruit in on Friday and it was a very hot week. And so we were looking at Pinot Gris at uh, way above 26. I'm guessing it was closer to 27 bricks. Um, was going to make a 16% alcohol wine. We didn't used to, didn't used to, I'm, I'm going to say we we still don't, but we didn't used to water back our Pinot Gris. We, we, we would routinely pick at the time, I don't think this was done more recently, but at the time, um, Brega would routinely pick Pinot Noir, what I would call hot and water back and acidify. Um, and that was kind of the way that it was done back then by many. Um, but we got the Pinot Gris in super hot and we fermented it and it went almost dry. Uh, didn't quite get dry. Um, and uh, I thought, well, I have this one ton of 11% alcohol, screaming acid wine sitting over here. What's going to happen if I blend these two? And I started blending them. And the more I put in of the nice high acid wine, the better that Pinot Gris got. And that Pinot Gris ended up being sub 15, but high acid with that sparkling base wine, right? We never did it that way again when I made wine for Brega. We picked it, you know, less ripe. We always had residual sugar on the Pinot Gris because we thought it was bitter without. That's a whole other story. But um, so when I left Cliff Lady, I spent a year uh, there in the transition. Um, I was calling Oregon to find out if there was any Pinot Gris at 19 Bricks in late October, mid-October. And I found a vineyard and I flew up there two days later and I pulled three tons and made that sparkling Pinot Gris with Michelle. 
um, which we that you hadn't made it because you blended it all. The never made time. a sparkling, yeah. Um, so Michelle helped me make that wine, and he helped me make my first first vintage, really in second vintage of of our um, Lichen Estate sparkling wines. Oh, um, and um, rest his soul. I think I, I now I've had to say that twice, <laughs> two different people. Yeah. Um, but but he. Um, so he helped me with the sparkling, but I had this question of, well, what would be the ratio that I would like today? Because my 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 personal tastes had changed. My personal taste had gone to less ripe fruit, higher acid wines, and less alcohol. Um, so what would be my personal blend if I took a sparkling wine base wine, which you pick at, let's call it 19 bricks, and blended it with a riper 20 three bricks right um finished wine yep yeah and the answer was what we made we called le pinot noir and gris um it was 80 percent sparkling base wine 20 percent uh riper fruit it was an 11 percent finished wine because we left a little residual sugar on it it would be a fun it would be a fun kind of thing to play around with every year which we do. Yeah. Yeah. So the so the white Pinot this year, the eleven point four, is the closest white Pinot we've made to the Le Pinot. We've stopped making Le Pinot because it was kind of the middle brother. Um, and it stopped people people either wanted the white Pinot or the Pinot Gris. Um, but our average I would say is about twelve and a half percent. It's about fifty fifty in terms of um, sparkling base wine and still wine. So you yeah. get that screaming acidity, natural acidity. Um, we are able to to keep some residual sugar on the when we pick the riper fruit, we stop it on purpose. Um, we chill it down. We SO2 it. Um, and that's, I want to say that's our quote unquote formula, but we yeah. use many, many different um, parts of those blends. And that's the most fun wine to make. Yeah. In terms cool. of winemaking and blending. Yeah. I, I mean, both these two wines are in their own way, like super delicious. Um, but Sam, you nailed it. Like aromatics yeah. of white wine but with red red fruit. red red you know red fruit on the palate yeah yeah and we yeah. and we were and we are able to do that in part because we have a large sparkling program like sparkling is now the heart what i think of as the heart of why we're here um and i don't think i've tasted that thank you i'm now is that the white pinot this is the white yes. pinot. yeah thanks i'm tasting it again um yeah <laughs> worthy um so so because we have this large sparkling program, we fraction um, those wines and we use a portion of what we call the Cru de Cuvée um, in this and then a larger portion of the Thai, all of the Thai, um, both of which are high, high acid, but the Thai is not quite as high acid as our 2.9 pH Coeur. Sort of in general for Anderson Valley these days, and I guess Rotorua probably throws this off a little bit, but of the whole region, how much is going into sparkling wine and how much is still wine? Uh, being the you're the president of the association now, you got yeah. So <laughs> I'm, these I'm numbers. Gonna, I'm going to defer to other people who describe that. We have been the one winery dedicated to making sparkling, kind of really high end sparkling, um, since we started. So in 2012, um, I do know that there are other wineries that have called let's call it entered the fray but because it takes four or five years to make a good sparkling um some of those wines are just coming to market 
Right. Um, Brego made, or sorry, Fell made um, some sparkling Savoy, and it's awesome. They it was five years entourage. I I tasted it a year ago. I just thought it was awesome. Um, we've got some Savoy entourage from 2021, so that won't come out for another couple of years. Um, that we purchased from them. Um, so there are there are lots of little mini projects. Um, Should I grab the sparkling? Sure, it's open. Yeah, thank you. Um, but uh, I really miss Brian when there's no psalm. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. Uh, well, that and that is a skill that Brian has. Well, he just like a, a, a knowing of the moment and the time and when to get you know that that feel for it, Mister Entertainment. Right. I mean, wait, is he usually the one who gets the wine? Oh, he, he's born, he's he's born like to he uh, do it. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know. You know, he'll listen to this hopefully. You know, he it's um maybe it's just like an anxious thing of working in restaurants for as long as he has of just like wanting to be in charge of the wine service um, and kind of just like what's next and just yeah. like takes it it just like it's it's you know muscle memory and second nature at this point to be like alright when when am I pouring the next wine we miss you Brian hopefully you're enjoying a good day off right <laughs> so Bart just brought out our the only sparkling I brought um, but back to the mistakes sometimes the mistakes aren't ours and sometimes they're great mistakes anyway um we were um <laughs> Think we were about that for a while we so. were warehousing off-site uh and oh, you fucked up oh if you know what a tirage bin is if, you, if you've ever been outside a sparkling wine making house like jay and healdsburg i'm sure i'm sure in stromsburg you would have found the same thing back in the day um there are all these wooden bins stacked uh, five high and, and those are called tirage bins and that's where you store your sparkling wine after you do the tirage bottling which is the first bottling where you're putting in the yeast and the and the sugar that then re-ferments in the bottle and creates all the bubbles um, when you look at a warehouse full of tirage bins it's quite easy to lose some um, even if you're a warehouse company, <laughs> right? Because every box looks the same. Every box looks the same, and got and, and they're all the side. right, and they're all on no no labels on the bottles, right? right? Well, ours are. Oh yeah, yeah, yours are. Um, ours are screen screen printed labels. To talk about labels. that c commitment sometime. Yeah, insanity. Yeah, um, <laughs> committed to a sane asylum. Um, yeah, so so um, <laughs> this is a we we disgorged most of this after. Yeah, let me think. Sixty months, all, most of this lot. So this would have been about a five bin lot, and I felt like God. We sold out through so quickly, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then lo and behold, a couple years later, we found more. Um, and so this one has. Uh, maybe it's it was so reassuring. Later. I'm yeah. glad no compliance <laughs> people listen to this. But it's also so reassuring to hear. Of other people <laughs> making those kinds of fuck-ups, you know? Yeah. Wait, we never make mistakes. No, never. <laughs> um, so anyway, this is a late disgorged. Uh, there are 36 cases worth of wine in each tirage bin. This is a late disgorged bin, the, the lost bin. Um, and uh, yeah, so to be fair, when you do late disgorge, it gets longer time on the lees. Um, it gives you more of that, what you think of as the champagne character. Um, so... Take I mean, the, the, so, the mouth, uh, what what it did, I, th I think, for this one is just like that mid-palate and mouthfeel on it is just just like over the, I mean. Okay, 
So now, now I have a question, Doug. So how many cases total of this 2015 sparkling did you do? 35. So it was just one bin that no, just- oh no, no, no. We we made right. I think five bins. So we we disgorged. 144 right. maybe six bins i think we disgorged but, but, close to 200 cases and it was so popular the just the first round because it was spectacular it's our first sparkling rosé we, we'd always done um clear what do you call it like blanc de noir and blanc degree where our so i guess where i'm going with this is, is this you have these beautiful silk screen printed labeled uh, labeled bottles mm-hmm. that have a vintage date did you end up at the end and you said, holy shit, we got an ex- a bunch of extra glass? Or no, did no. you have to have extra glass printed? No, it's already in those bottles. Found it? No, oh, it's already we, in the bottles. Yeah, think. it's entourage. Right, it's already in, it's in those bottles. As my it's, daughter would say, as a little kid, she would say, it was hiding, hiding. It's so funny that, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So now do you... Sell it? No, 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 no. I mean, yes, obviously. But do you... Hopefully. Did this beautiful mistake become the a, way of... Like you're hiding one. We are now. You are hiding one. Yeah, beautiful taking... mistakes. Yeah, no, and everybody, I, I, we did not invent late disgorge. No, no, um, but when it, when it clearly works as well as it does with this. Yeah, yeah the painful thing about it, sparkling right? wine making how, yeah. is how much it costs to just sit on. It's not just that the, you know, we're, this, this is fruit that if you're trying to buy fruit from my vineyard or Farrington Vineyard or Savoy Vineyard, or any great vineyard in Anshan Valley, you're kind of the low bar is five thousand dollars a ton at this point. So you're talking about putting away something that is of value immediately if you're a farmer. And I, and I up until twenty twenty, I sold quite a bit of fruit. Right. Um, and so that that's great for cash flow. Um, sparkling wine, when you let's say you make it in twenty, is the opposite of cash flow, and you start selling it in twenty twenty four. That's a that's kind of a nine year spread. Yeah. And then for most of that time, it sits in a bottle that last year I was paying over two dollars a bottle for the glass because of all the it's come down a little bit. I was paying a dollar a bottle initially in twenty twelve versus six dollars. I'm sorry, sixty sixty cents or less, fifty cents a bottle for a good burgundy glass from Saber. Right. Um without the packaging. Right. Meaning without the, I'm sorry, without the box. Correct. So glass costs twice as much. Then we screen print it, which adds another dollar a bottle. And then we sit on it for five to seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's stupid. Yeah. No, it's it's um, normal. Bad math. <laughs> it's yeah. really it's bad. bad math. No, I I, I understand. There's like, especially with with sparkling wine. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, and and so there's a reason the lead time is. So I you know, I, I am not going to name names, but expenses. there's there there are lots of companies that are buying sparkling wine that was made by a very large producer in Healdsburg, um, and I have all kinds of respect for them. They employ great people. Um, they're buying it for their tasting room to say we have a sparkling wine. Right. They're they're it's it's, but it's custom crushed. They're just and it's not aged. Right. So the way that you make great sparkling, in addition to picking it right, getting it from the right vineyard, getting it from the right region, um, it's it you have to age it and it's right. that's brutal. And it's that pre disgorge aging. Right. That it you know that makes it so special. Right. And, it's like and that sparkling that Steve Law gave you. And one of the things that 
I learned very much from Michelle is aging under cork also matters. So if you try one of our sparklings after a month or two, like when I think about white wines, for example, all the white wines you tasted today, um, those wines are usually through what I would call bottle shock within four or five weeks. Sparkling wine, because you're adding sugar upon disgorging, the marrying of that sugar with the wine, you literally have to shake the bottle after because the sugar wants to settle on the bottom. Right. But you shake the bottle, um, it takes six months. And so we're not selling, we're, we've bottled, we've rebottled right. in, in the disgorging, right. and it takes six more months to, to release it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've heard countless really smart people talk about how it makes no sense, and I completely agree with them. <laughs> and, and yet here we are. And yet you still so, want to do it. I'm, I'm the dumb kid. No, I'm sparkling Shannon. I'm, no, I'm good. Sparkling no, I'm, good. I'm good. So are I'm you good. really putting people's names on the fence posts? It does say so. End posts. End posts. There you go. Yeah. So we threw a party. So so we have a meter by meter vineyard, um, four thousand vines the acre, and we put. Would you do that again? Of course. Okay. We can talk about that. I'd love to talk about. That. I love talking about farming. I don't like talking about winemaking and. That's all right. Wines. Go for it. Um, so the end posts, I kind of insisted be redwood, for the at least for the initial vineyard. Was that a mistake? Probably. Is that aesthetics or just? It's both aesthetic. I, I wasn't going to use pressure. I'm, I'm a, I've been in an organic food for 30 years. I'm, an, I'm a fanatic kind of. No pressure treated lumber. No pressure treated lumber. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't put arsenic on purpose no, in your vineyard. No, no. Um, just as a matter of. And don't yeah. burn it in your fireplace just, either. Yes. No, um, and and I just. I, there, there is an aesthetic element of. No campfires. And posts. Right. And so. And um, you know. Plus it's like Native. It is native. Right. We are the heart of putting it right back where it right back where it came as it decomposes into the ground. Right. Slowly. Slowly. Yeah. No, most Natural. of our posts are still yeah. there. And that's we're we're now what is it, oh eight? Uh twenty it's sixteen years at least. Yeah. Um so so yes, we have Redwood End posts, and I had the brilliant idea of throwing a uh club pickup party where all of our club members could bring their own tools and carve their names and any kind of art they wanted into our Redwood end posts. And so um, being in Anderson Valley, doing a pickup party from our club, nine people showed up because it's a Out long. Of how many? Oh, it was probably club 250 at the okay. time. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so it's hard to throw a club party in Anderson Valley. When I first announced that we we're going to throw a club party at our house in Healdsburg, which I think was probably 2019, um, we had 35 people say, I'm in. And like, we never did that in Boonville because uh, of the drive. Um, and, and you have to stay there. Provide transportation. Yeah, no, if, if we could helicopter people in, everybody would come. And the the Cloverdale to Boonville tram. Yeah. Maybe like air. Uh, well, you no, know, it's a something. commitment. So Anderson Valley is a commitment. Most people who, who taste wines at our tasting rooms are going to the Mendocino Coast. It's a three hour drive. They're staying for two nights. It's they're spending a thousand dollars just on lodging. Um it's a commitment. It's a it's a it's it's their weekend of the year. Um so anyway, we didn't get a great big crowd. My friend Cameron brought a lot of tools and his daughters went to town. So I think they had two or three posts. Um, but yeah, we don't have a whole lot of carved posts. 
It's going to be a cool collection once you're done with that. Oh, I mean, get keep keep, keep it going. Up, I, we haven't ever thought of that. So, oh yeah, it's going to be neat. now. I'm announcing anybody in our club, and anybody who wants to join our club, which is everybody, Come on out. Yeah, and and where would they do that? Yes, get exactly. A, give, plug, well, plug the website. Plug, plug the website. We, how do we visit? How do we join the club? <laughs> right. Um, okay. All four clubs. Um, so we have, we just bought our new winery, uh, old winery back. Um, so we just created a new website for both. Um, it's likeanestate.com and it's brego.com. Um, and then if you hit the website, you're going to find a lichen, uh, uh, lichenologists. And that's L I C H E N N B R E G G O. G G O. Yes. Okay. Um, and then we've got the black sheep club, which, um, gives you an extra five percent savings, and gets you a double double. So you get you get the Lichen and the Brago Club at the same time. Um, well, and you knew the Bialis, and they've got the Black Chicken Club. So yeah, it's a good thing. Almost the same thing. Um, yeah, the Brago Club has always been the flock. Um, so that's we're we're riffing on. Because you're uh, right. You mentioned the Bialis. That's perfect. Yeah, uh, awesome. and then our last of the four clubs is our is our librarians, where we're going to spelunk the library on every shipment. Since you got it back, yeah, both. Yeah. So, so we have a pretty sizable library from like in starting in 2012, and intentionally, and and we did the same thing with Brego. Um, so yeah, so the like the, the the librarians will get a bottle or two from the library until we run out. I love those club names, by the way. Thank you. The lichenologist. Right. I think my my wife might want to become a lichenologist just for the name. I mean, I just and you, the labels are the, if, the labels are. If you can tell me her name and give me your credit card, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got no problem with that. Well, and lichen is something that's cool too. I mean, it's living. And and if you ever had a train set or any, knew anybody who did when you were a kid, they had lichen all over the place. It totally. Just because that's what you covered your stuff with, you know, lichen. Cool. It's uh, so for me, it's one of the most beautiful life forms on earth. It is the most extant life form on earth, meaning it covers more of the planet than any other life form. Extant. There's a good SAT word for you right there. There you go. Um, it, it you find it in SATs aren't relevant anymore. Ouch. <laughs> Hey, I, oh, can I tell that? Can I tell the story? I am going to tell, tell the story. whatever story you want. Okay, so I want, show, to, man. I want to talk about my kids, and one reason is one of my kids um, is coming to the town of Sonoma to perform uh, on March thirteenth. Um, at I think it's at six or seven o'clock. I should have checked with Jeff um, at the Sebastiani Theater. So she is at Yale. Um, she has got pipes, uh, and she. Uh, tried out for uh, acapella, and the the oldest acapella underclassmen group in the country is called the Spizwinks, and they were all male until last year, um, and she became the first female tapped. Um, they're really good. They're they're world famous. They what do these they world sing? tours. They sing all kinds of stuff. This is this is uh, uh, pitch perfect, right? Yes, right? yes, very much. Or like acapella, co- acapella, co- collegiate acapella. It's competitive at some point, right? Quite, quite competitive. I'm sure. Yes, it's not. They're not just. They're not just. Although you know, for the love of the music. I will say they're this is to... cool. When so that so one of the one of the um, competitions, like you know, Berkeley and Stanford big game is Harvard Yale, and during the Harvard Yale game, the Harvard Harvard's version of the Spizwinks, which is their name, um, uh, houses. Sounds like a Harvard. No, no, no. You've never seen. Go home. 
and find on whatever Netflix. internet streaming Netflix pit the first especially the first one they get to get you know but and glee and glee but pitch perfect you're gonna you'll laugh you'll sing along yeah. it's it's fantastic and they're so these kids their promise the 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 promise that this the spizwings gives them that is that once in your three years of underclassmen career with us you will get to go to your hometown in our case it's sonoma county so we live in healdsburg but jeff bunchu is uh coordinating the sebastiani theater thing here on august 13th um there's going to be one and i don't have the date that's right. We'll put it in the. Yeah, yeah we'll get put the, it in the information. Okay. I think because on top of wanting to go be a lichenologist, my wife is probably also going to want to go to the acapella show. Right. Yeah. You can hand me her card for that too. Your your um, <laughs> your daughter's perfect for that. Right oh shoot! Uh, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, but anyways, they 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 like. I I guess I'm stuck at that. They they stay with each other. It's 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 both competitive, but it's it's a it's it, her crowd friends are she's also been tapped for like the salsa club um so she sings for the salsa club she sings for the the yeah she's she's a singer and a songwriter and a it's awesome yeah it's awesome and your son is currently doing something pretty cool also you said recently. also yeah so he he didn't he didn't want to stay in high school um Ooh, i mean <laughs> no so he keep him away from my kid yeah, yeah so he had a, he had a pretty rough go uh meaning uh, he, was, he was ill. He, he he got ill during COVID and missed a year. Um, uh, and um, he didn't he didn't have a good time when he came back. Um, and he says, "I I want to be out of here." And so he he finished high school. He missed his sophomore year and he finished so three years of high school in a year and a half. Uh, graduated right after Christmas. Went to Ecuador which is where my wife is from and my kids are dual citizens stayed there for a month, but he is now uh, hitchhiking around South America right at the moment in Patagonia as a 17 year old. So it's awesome. Are we worried? Uh, no, it's, it's given him freedom that he'll appreciate it. Does he look more life. like your wife or you? He's handsome. So my wife is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Bart, Bart I mean, knows what my wife looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my wife know, is gorgeous. I, he, I, I, I he, can brag he, about that, can't yes. I? Yeah, of course. Um, he, I mean, he looks like he, he, he would look like a local down there. I would think he talks he's, like a local now. Right? Yeah, he's not a white yeah. kid from Sonoma. No, it's interesting. So my right. daughter always wanted to. Look, she, she never lost her Spanish. My kids both were bilingual at the age of two. Um, but my son, for some reason, and maybe it's a boy thing, just didn't want to keep it. And so he, but it was last year, he was like, I want to get back in touch with my roots. I want to learn Spanish again. And he's, he's bilingual. Yeah. Well, hitchhiking around South America will we'll do that for probably you. make your Spanish <laughs> come back real quick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah so you he remember how to say first, I'm hungry really quickly. Yeah. Hiked his first Tengo volcano hombre. in got that. Patagonia yesterday. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you want to run through the two pinos? Sure. At least uh, inspiration or something special about him or your feelings or uh, grape growing. Let's see. So are How you, are we doing are on we time? 130. Yeah, yeah. They haven't poured Pinot yet. I, I, here. I, I snuck a glass. I, I saw I start, Bart I would start with the Moonglow. So yeah. So we have three Pinots that we make every year. Um, one is one we call Moonglow, named after an actual lichen, uh, the Moonglow lichen. Um, Anderson Valley is the northernmost part of its range, and it goes all the way to Sonora Desert. Um, and we, the picture, the the image on the the actual bottle is is that lichen. 
Who knew that there were so many lichens in the world? Oh, it's gazillions. It's and they're the names of them are so cool. Um, when I told my distributor Sybil AJ of Springboard that I was thinking about naming a wine Moonglow, she was like, "You're so fucking hippie, Mendocino <laughs> County." <laughs> um, and it worked. Uh, people like it. Uh, so so then we we do the Solera volume now ten or eleven, um, and and then our estate Pinot we just call Pinot Noir. Um, and that is our barrel select. So we usually do about eight to 10 barrels of the estate, um, depending on, we always do eight barrels of the Moon or of the Solera, and then our largest blend is the Moonglow. So. so there is indeed a difference in the illustration on the bottle. Oh yeah. Yeah, on all the bottles. Yeah. Yes. All the different lichens, amazing. Oh, cool. Who knew? All right, tell me about this one. Let me taste. Earthy, spicy, crunchy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, when I first tasted it, it wasn't, I didn't notice the crunchiness. It was real round and smooth. But it's got a little um, like. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's good. But, yeah, it's got but some. It's, no, but yeah. it has acid for sure. It sure does. Is yeah. that what um, crunchy means? One of the, yeah. one of the ways that. A crunchiness can happen. I like edges. Can happen, right? I like yeah. edges. I don't want yeah. something that's so round. Yeah. it's flabby and. Um, but yeah, it's definitely. Not that not the not the Pinot Noir is necessarily like a always a tannic. So I will talk about. Well, tannin. there's tannin in. But this there's wine. definitely tannin. In yeah. It, so this is so we have a group of winemakers. It's usually twenty to thirty uh, who make wine from Anderson Valley Pinot, and we get together kind of regularly, certainly once a year. Um, and we try each other's wines in barrel, um, usually after May. Of, you know, previous vintage was May, so after May, so they're resolved mostly. Um, and one of the things that I learned about my own vineyard, or two of the things I learned about my winemaking and vineyard, one of them is um, I make uh, my winemaking on the crush pad is reductive. Um, and so we get all kinds of tropical flavors and aromatics when our wines are really young um, that re those resolve but but um, because of carbonic fermentation we we our destemmer is very gentle our our fruit looks like a grenade um, pinot noir is called pinot because it looks like a pine cone um, and so our, our our we have carbonic fermentation which means that the fermentation did starts did you know that pinot is the pine, pine cone fruit? i did yeah yeah i knew it too yeah, who knew? Um, so <laughs> you're I, younger, I, Sam. It's okay if you don't. Uh, so no, it, I, I didn't I, know they taught that. I think I think everybody should just. You're allowed to not know stuff. Thanks. Um, I'm so good at that. It's okay. Um, I make mistakes. Uh, so anyway, the, um, beautiful mistakes. Carbonic fermentation um, is is the norm in my winery, and I never really thought about it. And I try never to taste. Carbonic meaning you don't put it through a destemmer. You just no, we destem it. But, you but our, stem our, it, our, but our, whole berries. Yeah. So our vineyard is literally a hundred yards from our winery. Right. We handpick. Right. We don't have a tractor. I was going to say, well, you have you have meter by meter. Yeah. So you walk them out, and you you gently dump them, and then those get onto they, those are they're dumped on a trailer with the bins in them, and the next just in like FYBs or into Mac. No. Uh, in skinny bins, actually, quarter ton bins. Oh, quarter ton bins, yeah. Um, and and then they go to our destemmer, 
And I would say we distend probably 90% on fruit. Okay. Um, but it doesn't start when you... Right. It's whole berry. It's all whole berry. When we destem it, you're looking at the the bucket that's holding that destemmed fruit and you don't see juice. Yeah. And so it takes days for us to get enough juice to do a punch down. What we're doing in the first two or three days once a day is a pump over just to wet the cap or to wet the grapes because we don't want it to rot and we're doing a cold soak. Um, but yeah, so that's one thing I've learned. How many days do you keep it cold? How many days do you actively work on keeping it cold? So Anderson Valley's cold. Right. At night. And so what we do is we'll move the the cold soaks out at night and back in in the day, and we yep. keep the winery cold. Yep. Um, five to seven. Okay. And then just let them start w- waking up or warming up naturally on their own? Or yeah, so I would say that it. the majority and... Okay, now I'm afraid because I listened to your last podcast. Um, the, Oops. The, the majority, I, don't re- don't, I don't remember it. Don't so do that. Don't work. Um, <laughs> the, la- the vast majority of our Pinot Noir, we let go native. Right. Um, not true with our sparkling ever. Um, right. Other people sparkling, we do some custom crush. We've we've let go native. Um, but Is that just the, the – you're threading too small of a needle hole on a on a peanut on a sparkling fermentation to want to let it go native that's because michelle told me to always because the french guy said so yeah <laughs> french guy said no, totally. so. i have a there's a whole well, list of and, things and he had a good explanation yeah. but yeah the french guy said the so. french guy said so. rookie totally. question here can you make sparkling from any wine i mean any varietal yes yeah. Can you make it well? Um, that was my second. No, question. so I would I, know, I would encourage you to try the red sparkling One part? Shiraz from Australia. I'm gonna stop there. Yeah. I mean <laughs> All right. Well a shoe the wire friend- makes great sparkling Zinfandel. Yeah. From the from the bedrock vineyard. I mean it made Joel Peterson crazy when they picked it at, you know, eighteen bricks or something. Um well, so interestingly, when, when 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 our friend Mike Cox was with Shug, they used to do that um, sparkling Pinot Noir. Do we make sparkling Pinot Noir? Yeah, but you no, like, but it was like a red, red wine. But it was uh, red. Like, gotcha. like lamb. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he so they fermented on skins. I don't remember. Okay, Mike. so we make the way we make our rosé is we're adding still Pinot Noir. Yeah, we're adding make the color. color. Yes, we do not. Michelle again. Well, that's that's a very traditional. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Michelle said, if there's color when you're pressing, you've made a mistake. No, you're pressing too I hard. I don't want to try to. In, his, his accent is really good um, in French. Um, but yeah, no, he, he was adamant that gentle pressing, you will not get color from Pinot Noir. And he's right. We've never had color in our sparkling. Jasmine has some tasting to do down there. Jasmine's now. got work to do. He's on yeah. the catch up. It's a good thing. All right. Let's taste the other Pinot. So this is the estate. Um, and we barrel select. Uh, it has historically gotten more time in barrel um, and more time in bottle. So our Grazie. let me think about this. Our 2020. We're at the end of our 2020, and we're in 2024. Um, uh, we sold out of our. We thought we sold out of our Moonglow 2020, which is on the table last summer, I think. Um, so typically our moon glow is a half a year to a year behind our estate in terms of release cycles. Um, yeah. So Doug, have you, um, what's been the biggest thing that's come out of 
bringing back Brego? And, and, or what is it, you know, what are you most feared of and what are you most excited about? Or, you know, I mean, yeah, no. So we opened our tasting room. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. So we opened our tasting room on February 2nd. We got our, we got our permit to open that tasting room on February 1st. Um, and I was able to sleep the night of February 2nd. But the surprising thing about the whole Brego purchase was I thought, okay, I've done this before. I'm getting it back. Um, this should be easy. And it was a full tilt startup. And I think I counted it up. I think that's my seventh. Um, and it was a bitch. Like all, all of the permitting. So from TTB to ABC to Mendocino County to now we have a commercial kitchen and we're, we're waiting to get inspected. It all had to happen in a timely fashion. The label, the wine arriving from Fell in the middle of harvest. Because all that was, any bottled product would have been soaked off and relabeled? No, 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 we got bulk. So you only, so you went we from bulk. We purchased You purchased bulk. from bulk going forward. Yeah, so we got the, the their Chardonnay, um, three Chardonnays, Savoy Farrington, and their, what we blended as Anderson Valley as bulk wine. Um, and then had to bottle it. And normally I'm not bottling from November 1st through the end of December. Right. Um, I'm that, that's like when my employees go home or go to Mexico, literally that's when yeah. oftentimes, um, and, um, we were just at it. Um, and then our labels arrived on the 15th, we started labeling. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a grind. Um, it's a ground running hit the ground running and we added here's something that's very familiar to you but not familiar at all right like go <laughs> it almost would have been almost harder than starting a new brand so like restart well and we so i ha i i tapped the person who did the original label and said i love the original label um it had been abandoned in 2014 um should we do the same should we up update um, and we decided to do an update, um, but we literally the original the art that's on the bottle. You can see it from this. The art that's on the, this. I'm pointing at a 2009 bottle and then a 20, for our listeners 22 bottle. Yeah. Um, the original Brego had a had a sheep. Uh, it was a bighorn ram looking ass backwards, meaning you see his ass, and you see him looking backwards at you. Um, and we used the original art. But we changed the dimensions and and whatnot. And the shading and the font. Um, well, this was not our original. So this is how okay. we did it. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, so all of it. So the design took the same amount of time. Um, the all the decisions are are new. It's all about that permit. It, and it's a lot yeah. of permitting. Wine is a lot of permitting. There's, well, there's speaking permitting. of um, <laughs> Bart. <laughs> You, so just uh, before we started, um, I got a phone call from, uh, I'll give a shout out to Andre Anderson, who's helped me get through this. And I my um, license is being issued tonight, so I can theoretically open tomorrow. Open okay. the tasting room. There we go, open the tasting room. So we got our license on the afternoon of February 1st. Yeah. Bart and I talked about this before we started. Um, and we opened on this on the second. We were still painting the room 
on February 1st. Yeah, I've been done painting for a couple <laughs> um, weeks. And and uh, my neighbor from Healdsburg, Martha, who had not been a tasting room no. designer before, but she was a, a like an interior she designer. She had a she has a warehouse full of furniture and cool stuff in Healdsburg, and my wife knew about it and had seen it, had been in it. Um, and she was like, you should tap Martha. You should get Martha to do the design. She just went to town and we have this beautiful interior design tasting room in my favorite building in Anderson Valley, um, which is what uh, Phillips Hill used to be in. And uh, now like in our original tasting room on our property looks like. Scratch. It's a very cool looking place from so the website. Project. Another project. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which I obviously can afford. Right. right. Um, well, you're a winery owner. Yes. <laughs> Actually, you own several wineries. It sounds stupid wow. at this point. Yeah. Don't tell my bank. It sounds like I, I need a uh, ride in your private jet. <laughs> uh, Makes just, it a much easier ride to Anderson Valley. Everybody and joking. Do, do yeah. they have an airport up there? Yeah. yeah. We have a cool airport. We do. We have a 3,000 foot long. So back in the 70s and 80s, everybody who went through Boonville High became a pilot because that was like there was a class on flying where you could become a pilot at 16. And like that was a thing. But we have this beautiful, sound like Trump, beautiful 3,000 foot airport. <laughs> it's a it's beautiful the, runway. The best God, runway. Best runway ever. <laughs> the longest runway. No, so the, the bad thing about it is you have to fly over the hills and then dive down to get to that well, runway. That'll give but, you experience. Yeah, uh -huh. once you get there. Jeff actually, I, so I, we've talked about this before, but Jeff Bunchu was flying to our, planning on flying to our place. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, but it was the last day he flew. Um, he was, he took his uh, plane out from whatever that airport is off of the little know. ones. Yeah. Sky um, Park. And as he was closing that giant metal door, he smashed his thumb and like almost took it off. Um, and he called me and was like, I'm not coming up. And he, he sounded like he was going to pass out. Um, and so I don't think he's flown ever since. Well, yeah, you know, I, I drove with, I flew with Jeff once. He took me out. We, we had a great flight. But at one point we were flying over Bodega Head and I could smell what was definitely like oil hitting the manifold, like that, you know, burned oil right. sensation. And he looks over at me, he goes, do you smell that? And I go, yeah, I smelled that. And he goes, he goes, I think we'll fly over land the rest of the way back. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what was that guy, Sully? Right, right. <laughs> Jeff Sullyberger. I, I think it's Cessna's different. Landed in the Bodega, landed right. in Bodega Bay. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah, I flew with Jeff. Um, it was great. So I, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll just start chatting. Um, planting a vineyard. Um, yes. Is lot. The, there are lots of decisions. Um, but my my major in college was history, not enology and viticulture. Uh, and so uh, I am in a place where we grow cold climate varietals really, really well. And so I look to kind of the North Star of where they grow them and historically the best, which would be Champagne, Burgundy. And all of the Grand Cru Champagne and Burgundy by law after 700 years of farming are meter by meter. Right. And so I thought, there must be a reason they made those decisions. And if you talk to them about it, and if you read up about it, um, there, there are just a myriad number of reasons that they think that that works really well. Um, one is the, 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 how the root systems work, meaning you've got 
an equal distance between vines in all directions. And so the root systems reach out until they reach the next vine and then they stop and they mine that soil that's underneath them. Um, the vine to vine shading is optimal. It's one to one, meaning if you have a 40, let's, let's use inches, a 40 inch canopy uh, and a 40 inch distance between the canopy, the fruit doesn't get direct sunlight for very much of the time. And if you, you know, again, the last podcast, um, if you let the leaves stay there, it, it doesn't get sun at all. Um, and then if, especially if you, you're orienting, orienting it, I want to say 17 degrees off of zero, um, you've, you've got this optimal vine to vine shading. You've got this optimal root system. Your vine doesn't have to do as much work. And so in our case, if you look across the highway, um, it's an eight by five planting. So a thousand eighty nine vines the acre. Um, those vines are on soil that's five feet deep with cobbles underneath. So have massive amounts of water and nutrients that they have access to. Our vines are on a pretty steep hill. It's between 15 and 35% slopes. Wow. Um, so, and then an 11 uh, cubic foot, get this right, 20. I figure our vines have 22 cubic feet each if they go to where there's a hard pan. Um, across the street, it's 200 cubic feet. So we have about a one-tenth the amount of soil to mine as that vineyard right across the street. Um, and that naturally balances the vine. And so we don't do a lot of hedging because right. um, we don't need to. Um, we do get good growth on most of the vineyard. They're the part that's actually 35% slope and pretty heavy in clay, not the best. Um, not great yields there. But for most of the vineyard, um, it, when we have enough water, it's 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 good yields and it's great quality. I um, mean, it's all about balance, right, Sam? Uh, I mean, if your vines are in balance, right. how you farm it, is well I'm, i was gonna say secondary but i guess it's really not i guess it's about farming it correctly so that it is in balance right well you most likely and i'm gonna make a conjecture that yield wise it's probably pretty similar to somebody who's on a much bigger spacing with much less vines you're not maybe a little lower but instead of 10 vines making you know just for the sake of numbers a ton of grapes if you have 100 vines making a ton of grapes it's a different individual vine making a small you know producing a smaller amount of fruit putting its entire energy into you know a smaller it's, yield I and getting better flavor the answer is con more hybrid concentration right so the answer is more hybrid than that so the, the way we would ask and still do our farmers to farm for brego is um a shoot that has that has 40 inches 14 leaves right. leave two clusters on it it's going to throw a third cluster all the time Drop. pull that off um if that shoot is only 18 inches and has let's say seven eight ten Good. that gets one cluster if it's below 18 inches just drop it drop everything um we we farm in january for that meaning if we think a vine can't give enough shoots to to do two um we we do cane pruning to do two canes, that one only gets one cane, right? Um, but the way the math works on the eight by five vineyard is the highest quality growers are gonna be averaging about one pound per linear foot of wire. 
So your, your canopy is your solar array and your canopy captures all that sunlight and you don't want a 15 foot bull cane feeding, you know, two clusters of fruit. Right. So you hedge it, but your canopy is, is what it is, right? It's, it's not going to be six or 10 feet tall. Right. Um, it's going to feed those two clusters. Our canopy is essentially the same. It's just, we have more vines in between right. and we have less space in between the vines, meaning less space between rows right and more vines in in the row so our, my standard is still one pound per linear foot of wire we just have two and a half times more wire so say you have more more wire way yes, more wire way more wire 2.4 <laughs> times i think it is so if whatever eight divided by 3.33 is right so <laughs> yeah so Divide i'm, I'm going to use 2.4 and so yeah, if we about, if we get six tons per acre of insane high quality fruit i'm thrilled and we did this year and if you guys are hearing uh our next door neighbor here uh, he, he he is quietly and organically uh rebuilding this house so that's, that's is that next door or two has that i don't know where it is well somebody's working with them. there's always it seems the like power tools sort of rotating that this house is occupied unoccupied new people living there they work on it. They leave. It's better when they're doing construction than when they're doing tree work out there, though. For as far as right. podcasting <laughs> goes, <laughs> which is we've very tried important. both. We've done it both. We're just gonna edit out that part. Yeah, sure. Okay. That was the that was the best part of the show right there. Too. On the other no, hand, only this background. We'll make oh, sure Doug. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> we have the capability. I'm not better than a chainsaw. And we have blue skies. On that yeah. side of it. Yeah, it's turned a little bit. Uh, yeah. It's February. It's coming, though. We're going to get more rain. Do oh. you need more rain? And we've had full? 30 inches so far. Pond is not full. What is what is the... I mean, you said up to 80 on in Yorkville. What's your average down on the... on the? Over the last 25 years, it's been about 40, I would say. Um, but uh, it's we've had wild swings. So from 12 to 15, um, it was under 30. From 20 and 21, it was under 20, um, meaning we got, I want to say, 17 inches in 21. Just annihilated. Our Nothing. Yeah. yeah. And then in 22, we got 30 inches where everybody else had a drought, but because the vines were so thirsty. So 22, the, the way I think about rain is um, after four inches, usually in October, the creeks start running. In 22... After two years of just brutal drought, we had a 10-inch rain in October. A 10-inch rain. Like, it was almost back-to-back. At the end of October. Yeah. Right. yeah. And we and the creeks didn't it run. soaked all up. It was a yeah. sponge. Yeah. And so our vines didn't produce much better in 22 than they did in 21 and 21. But, but um, they, like, I think it was great for them. And then t- this year we got a normal. Sam, service. does Enterprise need more rain right now? I mean, I think everybody's enjoying yeah. the sun, to be honest. We had, <laughs> oh, we, had, we had a good amount of rain. Um, we're at we're about two thirds to an annual, you know, 30 is about what we're getting around here at about in the 20s, uh, low 20s right now. I think the next couple of weeks might get us pretty close to a season's worth of rain. We're predicted to get um, seven more inches, so we'll be at 37. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's to answer your question, John, I think it needs to dry out a little bit. Yeah. You know? I mean, can you walk in your back? I, mean, I can't still walk in my backyard. It's been a week since our last rain. It just, right. you know, the ground is wet. Um, you know, 
got to start pruning because the other thing that's happening in between these you know, started to try this last week in between the sort of waves of of storms you know, it got up to 70 degrees the other day. Yeah. So, you know, things are going to start growing. No bud break yet, but things are going to start growing soon. Yeah. Are you, you not know, pruning it? Oh, we're we're pruning as much as we can, but when we don't prune in the rain. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, acacia trees are totally out. <laughs> oh, tell me about um, it. And the mustard's blooming. And the mustard's, you know, been out for a couple weeks. Um, so, yeah. Sounds like a song. The mustard. Achoo. Um, so my neighbor has a vineyard at 2,700 feet looking out over the ocean wow. called Signal Ridge. And they have adjusted their pruning um, radically such that they prune six. I think they're cane or cordon pruned, but they will prune to six inches and encourage the, the vine to go and then come back and prune again weeks later so that the the bottom bud because you've got apical dominance on the on the butt out um so that the bottom bud has not butted out when they get a massive rain in may um and so they they've figured out how to butt out one week later in may based on their pruning and i think pruning decisions are so local like, like totally and it's and it's hyper local yeah yeah and and why do you say that explain that a little bit i mean because of because of the the microclimate of and and exposure of each vineyard site um and and then also the the back end of that is like when you want it to that vineyard to get ripe right. or like you know how late you want it to to ride into the growing season right um I think a lot of people that, don't like, understand that there's uh, actually control that uh, happens. Uh, and especially, you know, if you're an enterprise vineyards or uh, I mean, imagine the the pruning priorities and and plan that somebody like like Brene is going to make at Monterosso. Uh, every single one, you know, just because it's the same variety doesn't mean it needs to be pruned at the same time, depending on it, on its exposure and right. soil type and, and, you know, the whole thing. So and it's historically when it pushes out. Right. And then, right. and then what they're doing right there, that signal, I mean, basically double pruning. Yes. Uh, you know, Which twice is expensive, that's expensive really, but they I, went I, from one ton per acre to three. Right. Yeah. Because they they're not getting hammered by rain in May. Right, I definitely. I mean, when so changes so your back, changes the bloom schedule. Yeah, when you're bloom, to, if you're in bloom, gets you to days, like ripening and a cooler time of year. I mean, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Joan oh, just arrived. Yes. And Joan and I used to go to Hawaii together. Kauai. And Burgundy. And Burgundy. Nice. Uh, <laughs> if you had to choose, that's a, a tough. A, apparently, that's apparently Joan's known well here, but um, yeah, I had. But she's in the neighborhood. We haven't seen each other for years. Yeah. Good to see you. We're all cash's people. Right. <laughs> it's all about cash. Yeah, that it is. Cash. I need to meet cash. Yeah, you know, it's probably under the table right now. So. Wait. Is it cat? Your dog. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I don't do social media. You know what? It has been years since yes. you guys have thought of it. Yeah. It's just like, no, my baby. Wait, is it? <laughs> We, my love child. Um, yeah. You remember that night? <laughs> oh, Doug. I think we were. Uh, what's that? If we were taking care of your child all day long, Joan, I think I'd have to charge you more. <laughs> Wait, is that the dog? Yeah, that's the dog. Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, I met Cash before I met any. Like, oh yeah, he when you me. got here. <laughs> yeah, he was like, like, hey, I don't know I, where I am. I don't know who I'm supposed to see. Uh, I think I'm gonna drool all over you. And you're gonna I don't know where my mom is, but she's around here somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's a as long as he drooled on you, dog. you're you're in now. <laughs> he's so. totally a latchkey <laughs> dog. As I was Cash comes to all of our staff meetings. <laughs> he creates all of our customers. Somebody's he's gonna write a book. The no, cash book. Yeah. How the world is the world through cash. Cash. C A S C A dollar sign H. Gotcha. That's why I had to get the microphone in. Slightly ghetto. It's cash. Shall we? All right. Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> North Hollywood. All right. Well, Doug, thank you very much. This has been great. Why don't fun. you thank shout you. out the um, all your you know social media stuff that you're not on and oh, the websites that's again? That's right. No, I've hired good people. Okay. Good. Um, we are. On you can shout them out then. Right. We now. are on Instagram. Kristen, Sean, um, we and Uli who lives here actually helped start our Instagram efforts. Um, she's a scribe, I think. Um, but yeah, so we're on Instagram as yeah. Brago Sellers and Lichen or Lichen Estate. Okay. Of course I know that. Yeah. Um, but just search Lichen Estate. There the aren't bottom. very many. And, and, and then shout out the, um, the acapella concert one more time. Oh, the date. Uh, for the town of Sonoma in Spassiani Theater, March 13th. I think that a couple other acapella choirs from the high schools locally, like Justin's choir is cool. coming. Um, so we'd love like you to performing or filling yes, seats. Performing, okay. Yeah, no, we we count on the parents to fill seats. Yeah, that's, that's how these things work, yes. right? And um, and then uh, and then she'll probably be performing at Sonoma Academy. I think it's Sunday night, the tenth. Yeah, but not certain. Okay. And then lastly, I know that as we talked about, it's you have to commit to drive to into Anderson Valley, but if you need a place to stay, oh. I yeah. think we that have, you know a place. We have we, we do. We have a cottage, a three bedroom cottage that can, uh, if you're cozy, you can put six people in it. Um, and then we have an airstream above the vineyard, which is spectacular for two people. Yep. And just look at our website. So brego.com and lichenestate.com. They're connected, so they're kind of one large connected website. We have two tasting rooms. We'd love you to join us at both. And you know, buy a lot of wine. That's the idea. Right. Every wine. time. Drink yeah. more Pinot. Don't, don't just let everything. it pile up in your cellar. And drink lichen today. So, Well, Doug, thank you so very much for coming on. Great guest. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. And Joan, always good to see you and Cash. I will always see Cash. <laughs> Sam, Sam, hope you you've had a great day. And do, I, do I have anything? Do you have anything? Uh, surprisingly, I don't think we have an event to push at the moment uh well i mean moon mountain district uh tasting event tickets are on sale that's june 1st we're gonna have a vinyl sunday the week after oh the day after that oh right uh find us at the high museum paul and jasmine to camping for uh atlanta in march and then the tulsa toity stuff we're super bougie and the, <laughs> the high museum and then the high yeah so that's the the high museum in atlanta uh, their art museum, they do a big wine event, three-day wine auction, tasting extravaganza. Uh, the Tulsa, which is the... 
Tulsa time. What is Tulsa time right now? Tulsa time, baby. The, the Philbrook, the Philbrook Museum, their art museum. They do it every other year, but it's like it's crazy. The number yeah, it's like the fifth largest wine auction in the country, uh, but it happens every other year. Um, and that same time, we'll be up in uh, up in Walla 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 hospice. Washington for yeah. hospice to run. So it's going to be a busy um, spring. That's the one, way we want it. Phil sent Doug, me email. You got something? Doug, one more coming out soon. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know this was part of it, and and I'm I'm a failure. Yeah, shout out your event failure events. as a president. Um, so the Anderson Valley Wine Growers this coming weekend is having the White Wine Festival. It used to be the Alsatian Wine Festival. Oh yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's going to be wet, um, but it, it's all inside, and you're going to love it. There'll be plenty of acid. Um, Don't worry about it being wet. That's right. <laughs> You'll lose your mind. Um, Wait, when is this party? <laughs> and then, and then uh, Pinot Fest. Um, we do Pinot Fest the third weekend of May every year. Um, it usually sells out quickly. I think it's. I think tickets have been on sale. Um, I think there are early bird tickets, but those are probably gone. Um, and those are our two biggest events of the year. Okay. Um, they're they're awesome. Like they they feature. They're different from uh, other. Events that yeah, I mean, only have Pinot. Only, only Anderson Valley Pinot. Oh, I'm sorry, so your you own. Get, Pinot yeah, you fest. get you get Got 50 it. different wines from Anderson Valley wineries from Anderson Valley. Half of them, more than half of them, are from outside the valley. Right. Um, and you get great wine. Um, Rotor does like a bubble lounge where you get Cristal and whatnot. Um, that's made out of Pinot. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's all cool. It's fun. So yeah, it's Cristal's. Most the most appealing thing about Cristal is that it's made out of Pinot. Totally, <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> <I'm> Ouch! <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. All right. Be good. All right.